Hi, welcome to Unleash Ministries podcast, where Pastor Nathan Sanford will guide us through daily Bible studies, prophetic revelations, and life-changing encounters with the Father's love. Join us for near daily content as we dive into the Word of God. Everybody, so welcome to Hebrews chapter 8. So we've gone through a whole lot of stuff leading up to this moment. And honestly, this is probably, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite chapter in Hebrews, but it's definitely up there. So I want to, just because it has like one of the coolest, most amazing revelations in it that is, I think sometimes almost completely missed by by the church, especially in this era. And so in order to even set this whole thing up in terms of like, how are we to understand Revelation 8? We can't do that without understanding Jeremiah. Because in Revelation 8, the writer of Hebrews is going to quote Jeremiah, but it's like crazy, crazy powerful. And it honestly like changed my life. So I just, so before we actually get into the text itself, it's a short chapter. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time on setting it up with like Jeremiah. So here's the deal. Just so everybody knows, like right now, of course, we're living in a culture where feelings sort of determine everything. So feelings are determining reality is basically what you have going on. And and that's because people have no idea who they are. So when you lose identity, when you don't know who you are, and by the way, oftentimes you lose identity because you have no responsibility. So if you if you have rights without responsibility, you lose identity. And that's what we have in our culture right now is everyone demanding their rights without any responsibility. So when you they lose identity, but you can't live without identity. You have to find it some way. And so our culture has decided that its feelings are identity and determine reality. Well, since the church knows that that's crazy and like a crazy way to live, instead of listening to heaven and then re, and then then having a response even before then, instead of listening to heaven and coming forth with truth, unfortunately, a lot of people in the body of Christ who are well-meaning and awesome, um, but but a little bit reactionary, will just see that that sort of heinous thing going on, which is they look in the culture and see that the culture is kind of reacting. Uh, I'm sorry, that's uh, they're reacting and seeing the culture is like is basically living off of feelings, and they want to correct that. So they see that as a problem, which it is. And then, but then instead of listening to God to really what the response is, they just react to try and correct what they see as a cultural screw up. So what you'll hear all the time quoted is Jeremiah 17, 9, which so anytime anyone comes on and goes, oh, I feel like this, or I feel like that, or I can't feel God, or or whatever, they'll quote Jeremiah 17, 9 to them, which says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so they'll they'll throw that out there like to show everyone that their feelings are horrible and their hearts are deceitful and that's desperately sick and all of this stuff as a way of saying like don't follow your feelings. And while I get where they're coming from, it's such an incomplete presentation of the truth. So just so you know, um, Jeremiah said that in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else is desperately sick. But that was not the end of the story. So later on, so what is this, like 12 verses later, 13 verses later, you have, or 13 chapters later, you have Jeremiah who then after saying that gets a prophecy from the Lord 
um, to, about something else that's coming. So Je- uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah gets a prophetic word from the Lord. He says, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So in other words, he's saying, Jeremiah, all of a sudden, after saying the heart is wicked and deceitful and all that, he goes, but you know what? Days are coming when I'm going to make a new covenant, not like the Mosaic covenant you're under now. And he says, verse 33, for this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their heart. So originally, he says, the heart is deceitful than anything else. And later on, he says, but I'm prophesying to you that God is going to have a covenant that will come. And it will be so amazing that I will then write my law on their heart. So he's basically saying, like, the heart will no longer be deceitful or wicked or desperately sick. It won't be that anymore because he's going to write his law on their hearts. And he says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, (laughs) for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying there's coming a time when there's going to be this new covenant that's going to be way different than the covenant that spawned the heart is desperately sick. Because under this covenant, your hearts are going to actually reflect the law because he's going to write his law on them. And it will be so powerful that he's like, you won't even have to be taught anymore to know the Lord because everyone's going to know me. Um, It's going to be that powerful. And he says, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and their sin I will no longer remember. So I want you to keep that in mind. So Jeremiah prophesies this, um, says, you know, the heart's deceitful, which, of course, you see quoted every time anybody says anything about feelings that that uh, scripture is quoted. But then they don't seem to ever go to Jeremiah 31, where he prophesied that that was not always going to be the case, that, in fact, there was a new covenant coming that was going to do something completely different. So just keep that in mind. So up to this point, remember, he's writing to Jews, again, under Roman rule, who are kind of hybridizing covenants together. They're sort of afraid to put all their faith in Jesus and be believers, both because of the persecution and also because of intellectual objections that they have with the gospel. And also because they're just kind of afraid to like give up something they've been doing for 2000 years or whatever. Like, so it's, it's ingrained in their culture and they want to still kind of hold on to both. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to make the point that Jesus is so dang amazing that you don't need to hold on to anything of the old, um, especially in terms of the sacrificial system and the way you forgave sins. So he's kind of building up to a point. Now, it's interesting how he starts this off. So Hebrews 8.1 says this. Now, the main point and what has been said is this. In other words, he's like, look, everything I just said, like, here's the point I'm trying to make. He goes, we have such a high priest, of course, which he just described in the last chapter, who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. In other words, he's, he's just saying the same thing he's already said. Jesus is high priest, and he's seated right now at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. 
For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Again, he's reiterating everything he's already said. In other words, he's just saying, hey, look, I already told you guys this, but just so you know, the high, every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifice, but Jesus doesn't have to do that. Um, because that's what he goes on in verse 4. Now, if he were on earth, meaning Jesus, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So he's just saying, like, this whole sacrificial system that we had on earth is really just a copy and a shadow of what's actually happening in heaven. And he says, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. But now he, meaning Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has enacted on been enacted on better promises. So he, all he's saying is like, look, this whole thing that Moses did, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, all of that stuff was simply a type and a shadow of what really God had in mind and what really was happening in the heavens. And he's saying, Jesus is the one who is now the mediator of that better covenant, which actually has way better promises. And then he goes on to explain that. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. So in other words, if that, if that Mosaic covenant had, was perfect in every way, you would not need a new one. But then he quotes this, for finding fault with them, he says, meaning finding fault with the original covenant, he says, and then he quotes the Jeremiah verse I just gave to you. So in other words, he's saying, look, Jeremiah prophesied that a day was coming when your heart would no longer be deceitfully wicked, but when that I was actually, there's going to come a day when he's going to change your heart through this covenant so powerfully that he would actually write on your hearts the law of God. He would actually change your heart at a core level and you would be able to actually know his will without even anybody teaching you. Because he, and he begins, he said, Jeremiah prophesied that. And then he goes, this is it. He basically is saying Jesus inaugurated this covenant because then he quotes that same verse that I just read you earlier where he says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord. And this is Hebrews 8, verse 8. When I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant with which I made with their fathers on the day with, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. And then verse 13, so he just quoted that entire verse from Jeremiah that I just quoted you. In other words, what he's saying is uh, that word that Jeremiah had, that prophetic word, you know, 1,500 years ago or 1,000 or whatever it was, years ago, is now fulfilled in Jesus in this new covenant. If you will step into this new covenant, everything will change. In fact, he will actually write his law on your hearts. In verse 13, it says, when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. 
but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So I want you to know what he's saying here. He said, when he said a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. So what is it to make the, the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant obsolete? I mean, it's like, it's like, um, gosh, there's probably a lot of examples of, for this, but for instance, like typewriters are obsolete. So I want you to think about that for a second. Like we have computers now that you can do every single thing you ever could do on a typewriter, but a billion times easier and a billion times better. So nobody sells typewriters anymore. Why? Because typewriters are obsolete because the computers are so much better and do everything that other one did and a trillion times more. And that's what he's saying about that old covenant that it is so obsolete that we it's passing away. Like it's about ready to be to disappear completely. He's saying because we have this way, way better one. So in other words, he's saying a whole bunch of things. But remember, I told you, it seems that so many believers now actually have this weird kind of hybridized covenant where they essentially like have combined elements of the old Mosaic covenant into the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And they kind of have this weird idea, like you get saved by by grace through faith, but then you stay saved through works. Like this is this weird thing that's kind of infiltrated the church. And then they'll say, you know, because your heart is deceitfully wicked. Like who can who can trust it? You know, who can even fathom how deceitfully wicked you are? And guess what? All of that is true outside of being born again. Now, of course, we're not saying here like, yeah, trust every feeling you have because every feeling is right. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like we're not saying anything like that at all. And neither is the writer of Hebrews is not saying that either. That would be silly. All he's trying to say is this covenant will do something to the human heart where the law of God is actually written on your heart and you'll know instinctively what to do because you will be so radically changed. Now, again, is ever that mean every thought you have, every action you do, and every feeling you have going to line up perfectly with God's will? No, that's not what he's saying. But your heart is no longer deceitfully wicked. In fact, it's been radically transformed under the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to get everyone, because here's the deal. What you believe determines how you behave and ultimately what you become. So if you believe that your heart is wicked, you will act wickedly. If you believe your heart is deceitful and awful, then all you'll think of is every single thing inside of you is deceitful and awful. And I'm sorry, that's not biblical, and it's not the new covenant. It is not how the new covenant was written. It's not how it came forth. It's coming forth to say, I will transform you. Now, does it mean that you, you don't, you're not going to struggle against desires and thoughts and feelings that come from the flesh? Um, no, it doesn't. Of course, it doesn't mean that there's certain things and desires and feelings and thoughts that are going to spring forth from the fact that you're in a physical body and still because of that in a fallen world. And so there will still be struggles, battles. There's not just within like, you know, things that come forth from, you know, your, your physical body wants to do things that may may or may not necessarily be righteous. You know, so, you know, for instance, like you're starving to death and you want to steal food from someone. Well, that's not righteous, but your physical body wants to do that. Your physical body is going to want to do, your flesh is going to want to do sexual things to make it feel good. That may not be righteous, you know, necessarily. 
Um, so there's all kinds of things. And, and then your physical body and your flesh affect the way you think and they affect the way you feel. And so some of those thoughts and feelings come from simply that you're in the flesh. You know, you're in a physical body that has needs and everything of its own. And that, uh, that impact you and that you have to obviously overcome those things and somehow and sometimes fight against those things. But it doesn't mean that your heart is deceitfully wicked because that is absolutely changed in Christ. Um, and then, of course, the process of that um, reality of your perfection and the working out of that in every thought, feeling and action t- does oftentimes take time. Now, again, some people are faster than others. And, you know, we have a million tools that we can use. I gave this in a little clip I sent out a while ago um, to be able to make that happen faster. Prayer, fasting, reading your word, all that can loving people, serving, you know, this kind of thing helps those things which are inward manifest more quickly outwardly, but it doesn't change the fact that your heart is no longer deceitfully wicked. You have to stop thinking like that because what you believe determines how you behave and ultimately what you become. And you have to have your thoughts and your feelings and and, and your mind and all of that line up with the word of God, which states, if you are a born again believer, you have a radically transformed heart and you now have God's heart or law actually written on your hearts. To, now he doesn't mean we don't like need teachers anymore. I mean that that would be silly. Like that contradicts all the rest of the New Testament, where you have Paul talking about teachers as part of the fivefold ministry, and you have lots of teachers going out into the earth, like Paul and others that are teaching people. Um, so he's not saying you don't need teachers. Period. He's trying to make a point. It's a hyperbolic statement. He's trying to say you are going to know His will so innately that you you don't even have to have anybody necessarily teach you because you're going to want naturally to walk in righteousness. You're going to want naturally and desire naturally to walk in holiness. Like this will be the desire of your heart will be to walk in holiness and walk in righteousness. Now you might not always succeed. I mean, you might you know fall into different things and we all have things we have to bring before the Lord that aren't lining up with his will and perfect nature. But those are still our desire. The fact that it's your desire to walk in righteousness and holiness and to please God is showing you that your heart has now been transformed. So I just want to let you guys know it is a new day. We have a new covenant. If you have repented, and and again, I don't mean you said a prayer one time at a meeting where you came down and were like, oh, Lord, you know, I'm sorry for stuff and I don't want to go to hell. And so I believe I don't mean that. I mean, like in order to be born again, you absolutely radically want every piece of your being surrender complete authority and control to the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that, and, and also believing and surrendering and trusting for all of your salvation to come and all of your sanctification and all of your justification and all of your glorification to come directly and only from his sacrifice on the cross. And once that is, once you've given completely over to that, um, he, you will be born again in the blood and saved and set free. And your desires will change. Your thoughts will change. And again, sometimes that's a process um, to have that conform more to his will. But you're still transformed in the blinking of an eye in that moment. Um, ontologically, so your heart changes, but then, you know, sometimes it's a process to, because we've all been raised in physical flesh. We've all been raised broken, um, you know, in a broken world. And so sometimes that takes time, but I just want to let you guys know that we have a new covenant uh, what scripture says is better promises and the old covenant is obsolete. So stop going back to the old covenant and trying to pull little pieces from it. Like to try and say like, well, you get saved by grace through faith, but you stay saved through works. That's just not true. 
I mean, you're, you stay saved because of your relationship and intimacy with Jesus that was born and facilitated through his sacrifice and his alone. So I just wanted to get that across to everybody in the Hebrews chapter 8, and we will hit chapter 9 next week. Is where This is where it really starts getting interesting. We start jumping into it. So I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Unleash Ministries podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by an encounter with the Father's love poured out through his word. If you would desire to bless this ministry financially, please visit www.unleashedchurch.org and click on the give link. Thank you.